Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for this awesome, glorious day. And we praise you, Jesus, because you are holy and righteous and true and good. There is no one like you. Jesus, we praise you that you are our peace and you are our joy and you are our hope. And everything that we just read here in Isaiah, you fulfill and you promise. And with you, it is yes and amen. May my words be only your words. Father, open our hearts and our minds to hear your voice, to receive from you, so that as we study and read your written word, we would encounter you, Jesus, the living word. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. For those who don't know me, welcome to the church at Woodbine. Those online, welcome. We're so glad you've joined us. My name is Doug Jones, and I'm the campus and teaching pastor here. And Some of you might be wondering, so who is leading us in worship? And just the way our worship service goes, uh, we really don't have a whole lot of time for introductions, but Ilanka Deaton, thank you so much for leading us in worship today. And worship team, thank you all so very, very much. I also want to introduce some older faces, not saying that they're old, but Daniel and Sandra Hegel, along with Jasmine, are here. They're some of our global workers in Mexico. Bienvenidos de nuevo. So glad you guys are here. And again, Hannah, thank you so much for reading. If you have closed your Bibles or turned your smartphones off, please open them back up to Isaiah 35. Here in this Advent season, we are talking a lot about Jesus is. Jesus is our peace. That's what we looked at last week. Today, Jesus is our hope. And one of my questions that I have for you today is what does hope mean? Another question, what are the things that you hope for every day? I know some of you guys in college are really hoping that you get an A or a 100 or maybe a 95, a 4.0 on these exams for this semester. Some of us are hoping, if we're little like me, for my best, most favorite present for this Christmas. I hope Santa Claus brings it. I hope he's paying attention. I hope I was good enough. And if you believe that, you know, I got 10,000 acres of swampland in Arizona for sale. In all seriousness, what are some of your deepest hopes? What do you hope for? Now, a couple of my questions I have, a couple of definitions. What's the difference between optimism and hope? Here's a simple definition of optimism. Optimism is an attitude reflecting a belief or hope that the outcome of some specific endeavor, whoop, John, I need that, Or situation will be positive, favorable, or desirable. I grew up a huge sports fan. And with American football, if there's two minutes left in the game and you're losing by 28 points, you're not going to win. And I would still, I hope Tennessee can pull this out. That's just being optimistic. That is not true biblical hope. Now, what does hope mean? Here's a very simple definition. To expect with confidence. And that's the key to expect with confidence and to cherish a desire with anticipation. We are hoping and longing for the return of Jesus. It's not just wishful thinking. It is a confident expectation that it is true. People have asked me, what did I think about living in Mexico for 20 years? How was that first? How are those first couple of years? And I would tell people, I hated the first year in Mexico. I hated it. And this was the main reason. We lived 7,000 feet up on a desert plateau 
and it might rain two months out of the year. It looked like that most of the time. It was dark, it was dry and dusty, and there was hardly any rain. Zacatecas is still in a huge major drought for at least 30 years. And in my 20 years in Mexico, I can count on one hand a healthy rainy season. And many of the people in Zacatecas, and you guys know I talk about Mexico all the time. I love them to death, but their spiritual lives look a lot like this desert. Dry and parched and longing for some true, real, living water. In the few years when it would rain in Zacatecas, everything would turn lush green. Amazing. And I loved it. Right here, Isaiah chapter 35. Let's stand again. We're going to read the first couple verses. And there are three, three points that I'm going to make today about the life and work of the Messiah. Because this chapter right here is all about the Messiah. The first one is this, transformation. The second one is the healing presence of the Messiah. And the third one is the Messiah is the way. Say the way. Right here, chapter 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert, it will rejoice and blossom with it like a wildflower. It will blossom how? Abundantly. And will also rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God, strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees, Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. You can have a seat. The very first point, the healing, no, very first point is transformation. It talks about a dry desert. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom, will abundantly blossom. Now, I just showed you a picture of a dry desert that was like it for us in Fresno, Zacatecas for 10 months out of the year. And so when I read these passages here, it really comes to life for me. Because having lived 20 years in the desert, when you see a rainy season, a true rainy season come, you see a desert transform into a lush garden. Here in Tennessee, we go one month without any rain. Oh, we're in a drought. We're dying. And two of the biggest rivers in all the United States kind of pass through Tennessee. The Mississippi and the Tennessee River are enormous. And there's lakes and streams and creeks everywhere. So here in Tennessee, we really don't understand what it's like when it really gets dry. Now, I know most of our grass got real crunchy this fall. And the leaves were off the trees in early October, which is rare for here because it didn't rain that much. But when we look at this passage here, and as Isaiah, who's preaching, he says, the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice because there will blossom an abundant blossoming. They'll rejoice and sing. And then it talks about the glory of Lebanon, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. Those are three areas in the country of Israel and north of Israel that were considered lush and plentiful with water and green. And Isaiah is comparing a desert that gets radically transformed by God's presence as Mount Carmel, as Sharon, 
and the glory of Lebanon. And I share with you a little bit last week about the, the trees of Lebanon, the cypress trees of Lebanon that would live for centuries and that were huge. And most of them were wiped out before the time of Christ because of the Assyrians and the Babylonians and even the local people just destroying the forests. And yet last week, as we look, God promised that a shoot, a branch would come out of the stump of Jesse. So many of the times the prophets will use everyday imagery and Holy Spirit would anoint them to teach about something that was coming now and in the future. This dry land, as Isaiah prophesies over over Israel, he's talking about the land physically, spiritually. This dry land will blossom and become fertile. There are some other pictures. Hopefully they work. John, if you don't mind putting them on of what a desert looks like during dry season, during rainy season. Look at the difference. And I tell you what, brothers and sisters, there were times in Zacatecas when it would hardly rain. And the society would almost weep because our little town was dependent upon the rain. And when you would see the transformation of rainy season and dry season, what it looks like. And one of my questions for you today is what season are you in with the Lord Jesus? Many times we will go through dry seasons and we have no idea why. We go through the valleys, we go through deserts, we go through parched lands, and that's not because we're sinning. Sometimes it is, but sometimes we just go through dark, dark, dry seasons of life. And we call out to the Lord and we ask and we cry out and we're wondering where, oh God, are you and why? And Ilanka challenged us today to lay before the feet of Jesus, before our heavenly father, Whatever it is we're struggling and wrestling with, lay it at his feet and sing about his goodness and his awesomeness and his holiness and his mercy. And let Holy Spirit renew us. This is God's promise today that he will transform the desert and make it abundant and blossom. John, could you show the picture? It's got all the flowers and just leave it up there for a while. He transforms the desert. And what God is trying to do through the prophet Isaiah, because during the time of Isaiah, Israel and Judah were weak. In Assyria, the international power was pressing hard on them. And most of Israel's, all of Israel's kings were evil and wicked. Most of Judah's kings were evil and wicked. Even the priests and Levites, most of them were wicked. Very few followed the Lord. It was an extremely discouraging time for God's people. And yet God is promising revival and renewal and transformation. And right here, what he's trying to do, he's trying to encourage his people that even though you feel like you're in a desert, it will blossom. And right here in verse four, he says, say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. We do not have to fear anything that's going on in our culture today. We can trust the Lord, even if our culture becomes more secular and more anti-Christian, we can trust our Heavenly Father that He will empower us and renew us, and we can walk in boldness regardless of who's sitting in the White House or the Supreme Court or Congress. We're called to pray for our kings and our authorities and to walk in humility and to be bold. 
and allow Jesus to shine in and through us and allow him to restore us and to renew us and to revive us. So he's saying right here, be encouraged. Do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. All the injustice and all the evil that has happened to you and me personally and that happens in society, Jesus one day will come. He will come as a thief in the night and he will make it all right. He will judge everything and put everything out into the light. His vengeance is coming. And he's coming with righteousness and holiness and goodness. He's coming with his love and his power and his fire. And we can lay everything at his feet, trusting in him because he is good. So if you're discouraged today, be encouraged. God sees you. God loves you. God sustains you. Jesus shepherds over you. He is calling you to his self. Second point, the work or the healing presence of the Messiah. This is verse five through seven. I have to admit, this is my favorite part. So if I park here till 1 p.m., I'm sorry. This is what it says. Let's stand again for these few verses right here. Verse five through seven. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool and the thirsty land springs in the haunt of jackals in their lairs. There will be grass, reeds, and papyrus. You may be seated. And John, again, please put the picture with all those flowers. I love this passage. When you read and look at this passage about blind eyes opening and ears and deaf being unstopped and the lame walking, who do you think of? Thank you. It took a missionary from Mexico to answer that rhetorical question. Good job. Way to go. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Verses 29 through 31, sorry, 29 through 31. If you want to look up this passage, it'll be on the screen. But Matthew 15, 29 through 31, Jesus is in the midst of his ministry. Thousands are flocking to him. Look at what it says. Moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountain and he sat there. He just sat right down, hopefully the camera. So Jesus is passing along the sea and he sat down on this mountainside. What does it say? It says a large crowds came to him, including the who, the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. Why did they follow Jesus? It says they put them at his feet. And what did Jesus do? He healed them. Jesus healed the blind. He opened their eyes. He opened their ears. He loosened their tongue. He touched their knees and they were healed. Now, there's a lot of us in North America that really struggle. Does God still heal today? The simple answer is yes. He still still moves stones. We have a young man in our church right now. I won't tell you who it is, but one day we might. 
the Lord is physically healing his body. I have a dear friend in Mexico whose son was in an accident at the beach three weeks ago. They thought he had broken three vertebrae in his neck. He is moving his hands and feet. Not instant healing. He's had surgery. God will heal us through prayer. He heals us at the doctor. My dad was a surgeon, so I'm not anti-medicine at all. But I do want to encourage all of us that every opportunity that we have to pray for the sick, pray that God will heal. Just because an evangelist preaches and not everyone gets saved, it does not keep that evangelist quiet. In the same way, when we pray for healing and for God to extend his mighty hand, his miraculous hand to bring healing, just because we don't necessarily see the healing in that instant moment, we should never stop praying for healing. Physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing, familial healing, community healing. Jesus healed many. It also says in Mark chapter 7, and I love this verse here because this is when Jesus took a blind man. Mark chapter 7. John, you can go ahead and throw these verses on. Jesus puts mud on this blind man and asks him what he sees. And it says, I see men walking around like trees. Gradual healing. That was just a few moments. But that encourages me. Because even Jesus experienced a gradual healing. And I think Jesus did it for us. Because he spoke, the world was created. But then Jesus healed this blind man. And right here in these verses... How did the people respond? They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything. What has he done? Everything. Say everything. Everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and this mute speak. How did they respond? They worshiped him. So back to Isaiah chapter 35. When Isaiah is prophesying 700 years before the time of Christ, the eyes of the blind are open, the deaf hear, the the lame walk. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus healed then. Jesus heals today. And then Jesus goes on, or right here, and Isaiah goes on talking again about the, the, the parched land, the thirsty land becoming a pool and streams for jackals. Jesus said in John chapter 7, this was right before Jesus died, On the last day of the festival of Passover, it says that Jesus stood up. It's John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. And Jesus stood up and he yells out, he shouts out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, Jesus, not Doug. And I will give him living water. And streams of water will flow out of him from the depths. And it's referring to Holy Spirit. We have all been created for one purpose, and that is to love God and to know him forever. And if we're not walking in that one purpose, we will always feel dry. It's like trying to take a football out on the basketball court and playing basketball with a football. That football was made for football, not basketball. Go out and use a microwave and try to ride it like a bicycle. You're going to have a hard time doing that. Our purpose as humans is to know God and to love him forever. And if we're not walking in that purpose through Jesus Christ, we will always feel like a dry parts land. But we come to Jesus believing in him as scripture says, and he 
will give us living water. Now, on this side of eternity, we are jars of clay. We are leaky buckets. And we will go through seasons where we are dry. We are confused. We are struggling. I am not preaching a healthy, wealthy, happy gospel. Because Jesus promises trials, tribulations, temptations. If we want to live a godly life, we will be persecuted. That's what Jesus Jesus promises on this side of eternity. But he also promises his presence, his forgiveness, his adoption, and the future hope that he will restore and make all things new. And when we see him face to face, we become like him. The third point, and let's stand Burn those calories today. Verses 8 through 10. The third point for today is Jesus is the way. Verse 8, a road will be there and a way. It will be called the holy way. The unclean won't travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. There will be no lion there. No vicious beast will go up on it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed they will walk on it. And the ransom of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy, joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. You may be seated. The highway of holiness, the roadway of righteousness. Jesus is the way, again, prophetic poetry here. There'll be no lion, no vicious beast, This highway will be so clear, some translations will say that even fools can find it. Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, through Jesus. He is the way. And right here, Isaiah, 700 years before the time of Christ, is talking about it. I don't have this in my notes, but one time Jesus was at a Pharisee's house. And there was this big party. And during that party, this woman who had a reputation of ill repute, she came to that party and she stood behind Jesus the whole time and was crying and crying. And then she started to cry and wash Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. And that Pharisee, his name was Simon, in his heart despised that woman. And he said, and he despised Jesus too. If this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. Well, Jesus being the son of God, knowing everything, said, Simon, I have a question for you. And he shares a parable talking about who's going to love or who's going to love the creditor more, the one who has forgiven 500 denarii or the one who has forgiven 50. And the Pharisee, he said, well, the one who's been forgiven more. And then Jesus rebukes this Pharisee by saying, you know, when I came to your house, you didn't give me water to wash my hands, my feet, or my face. But this woman hasn't stopped washing my feet with her tears since she got here. And Jesus says, this woman, her sins, they are many, but they're forgiven. And because she knows she's forgiven, she loves me greatly. One of the challenges for a lot of us is if we've grown up in the church or we just walk in arrogance and we don't think, I'm not that bad of a person. 
But when we truly understand how wicked and wretched and sinful we are, while at the same time understanding God's incredible grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and how much he's restored us and adopted us and the promises he has for us, we celebrate Christmas. It's coming up. But Christmas is just one of the beginnings of all that God has done. Christmas gets us to Good Friday, which gets us to Easter, which gets us to Jesus' promise of returning, making all things new, all things right. So here's my question for you, and I want to invite all of you to stand. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. Jesus is our hope. He is our hope for transformation, revival, renewal, He is our hope. He is the one that transforms our hard, dry, parched souls. He is the one that gives us living water. It's him. Jesus is the hope for healing our lives, healing relationships, friendships, restoring marriages, restoring communities. He is our hope. Jesus is our only hope for salvation, for forgiveness, for revival. And Jesus has called us to take his hope to the world. So I've got two questions. Say two. Ooh, you're sleeping. Say two. Two. Here's my first question for all of us. How do you need to experience the loving healing presence of Jesus this Advent season? How do you need Jesus to touch you? The second question is this, who in your life needs to experience the love, healing, and forgiveness of Jesus? And what is God calling you to do about it? As we close and as I pray, we're going to worship some more. I'll be down here, down the front. I'd love to pray with you. Johnny will be at the next steps. We would love to pray and talk with you. So let us worship him. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you. There is no one like you. We need you more than what we could possibly imagine. So Holy Spirit, do your work now. Bring healing, physical healing spiritual, emotional, relational healing. Lord, I forgot to do this in my sermon, but I was going to ask, if you're sick, stand up. So if you're sick right now, if you're struggling with a physical ailment, just raise your hand. And Jesus, we pray your healing, your touch upon each and every one of these people. Thank you, Jesus. Father, increase our faith. Father, for those who feel like they're in a dry, parched, weary land. Jesus, you know that. Pour your rain of living water into their hearts and souls today. Wash away any sin, any hardness of heart, the lies, the deceit of the evil one. Jesus, bring your healing, bring your renewal. And then Jesus, lay on our hearts those people in our lives who need to be touched by you, the hope of the world. 
We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship him.